Good morning, church family. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Always appreciate Robbie leading us in singing. Uh, he's definitely a very gifted song leader, and I'm grateful that he shares uh, that with us often. Well, I recently came across a story of a little boy with big confidence. Imagine that, a little boy having big confidence. When a toddler got trapped in a hot car a few years back, five-year-old Zavi came to the rescue dressed as none other than Batman. The car his one-year-old sister Iris uh, was in was uh, somehow locked itself from uh, the inside while she was inside and the grandmother was outside loading groceries. And panic just struck everyone because it was a very hot summer day and no one knew how to get into little Iris. So naturally, the police were called immediately who proceeded to break the window, but there was still a problem. Iris was situated in such a way inside the car that the adults were unable to get inside and retrieve her. So Zavi, dressed as Batman, crawled in the window and was able to get the keys and save his little sister. Now, would Zavi have been willing to be so brave and confident if he weren't wearing his Batman outfit? Uh, It's hard to say for sure, but I think we can all agree that it sure didn't hurt the situation. Uh, He was a confident young man that day, and I bet we'd all love to have the confidence of a five-year-old wearing a Batman costume. But for a lot of us, we don't have that confidence most of the time. Instead of having confidence, we tend to have doubts. We doubt ourselves. We doubt our abilities. Uh, Maybe we doubt our goodness or our intentions. Uh, Certainly lots of people, myself, maybe you, we struggle with doubt. I think it's a part of being human. Maybe you doubt your ability to be a good Christian uh, or to be a good mom or a good husband or a good worker. Or maybe this whole COVID thing is maybe, maybe, maybe has made you have doubts about uh, your job. Maybe you've experienced some hardship in your life and you have some other kind of doubts. Maybe because of those things you doubt in God or in His promises. It's truly a difficult feeling when we lack confidence. It often leaves us feeling hopeless and unsure about all kinds of different things. I think it's important for us to first realize that this kind of doubt that we're talking about is a weapon that Satan uses against the people of God to make us question the goodness of God or maybe our standing in Him. Satan is a master at planting small seeds that make us think, I wonder if God will actually keep His promises towards me. God has told me that in Him He will empower me to live a Christian life But I'm not so sure that that's true. I'm not so sure that I can. I'm not sure what this seed of doubt specifically looks like for you. But I am confident that all of us have some some kind of doubt, some lack of confidence to some degree. In Genesis 3, we have this perfect example of how Satan operates. Uh, If you remember the, the very familiar story, God had told Adam and Eve to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but Satan actually convinces them to by placing some small seeds of doubt about God. He made them question themselves in terms of how they thought about the relationship with God. And he made them question God himself as he wanted them to not trust in him or in his goodness or in 
his word. And obviously you know the rest of the story that still plagues us today in a very real way. It was that lack of confidence in God and in their standing before God that led to destruction. I know it may sound extreme, but the consequences that we face when we lack confidence in God are actually pretty similar. As humans, we want to have certainty. We like uh, knowing for sure what's going to happen or, or to be certain of our beliefs or certain in God. And when our certainty and confidence is not in God, we will inevitably go, uh, we will inevitably go to look for it somewhere else. So we look for confidence and assurance in faulty things and in faulty places, leaving us all the more full of doubt about God and about ourselves. So what if we could renew our confidence in God and be so sure of Him and His promises towards us that we could live our lives as confident as a five-year-old wearing a Batman costume? What would that look like? Well, Paul tells us that having this kind of confidence in God is something that we can truly attain if we just understand a few simple things. It's from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Let's start off by reading the first five verses together. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So it's pretty obvious what the main idea of this passage is going to be, isn't it? He is again, this isn't going to uh, come as a shock to you, he is again talking about this great mystery. He says in verse 3 that this very important mystery is something that was made known to him by special revelation from Christ himself. You may want to look at Acts twenty-two seventeen and following sometime when Jesus reveals to Paul that he is sending him to preach to the Gentiles. And then he says that he has already written about, uh, about this mystery briefly, uh, which if you've been with us the past several weeks, you know this. This is not the first time Paul has mentioned this. Back in chapter 1, verse 9, he told us that uh, a blessing we have in Christ is that we know the mystery of His will. Uh, So we've already discussed this a little bit, but now he's going back to that idea and is going to expound on it and speak more specifically to this mystery. And he says in verse 4 that when we read this, we will be able to really understand what this mystery is. And that's a big deal because verse 5 says that this mystery was hidden for many generations past. I think Peter really sums this idea up well in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So here, Peter says pretty much exactly the same thing. 
He says the prophets of old, as wonderful as they were, as spirit-filled as they were, as godly as they were, did not and could not see the whole plan of God. He says that they knew that something wonderful was going to happen, but they didn't know what. In fact, he seems to indicate that the whole host of heaven, angelic beings, long to know and understand the plan of God, but even they couldn't quite comprehend this. Both of these verses here in Peter and Ephesians should make us just fall to our knees in gratitude towards God, that He allowed us to be born at a certain time in human history to know and understand fully the things that folks like Jeremiah and Isaiah couldn't quite understand yet. This is a blessing for those in Christ. And here's this mystery in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So like I said, this probably doesn't come as a huge surprise to you. You're probably not shocked by this if you've been here in previous weeks. Uh, We talked about this in chapter 1, and then last week in chapter 2, it told us about the unification between Jews and Gentiles. But here Paul really spells out exactly what this mystery is that's been hidden for so, so long. It's that God, by His sovereignty and mercy, has united all people, whether Jew or Greek, through the sacrifice of Jesus. Last week we talked about why this was such a big deal, right? Because Jews and Gentiles were such fierce enemies. But in Christ, they were now not only brought together, but they were described as being family, members of the same body, partakers in Christ through the gospel. This is the profound mystery that Paul keeps on telling us about that is so important to understand. This piece of information that's been hidden for so long, but that you and I can now know in Christ. Let's keep reading a little bit. Verses 7 through 10. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul says some pretty interesting things here. He told us about what the mystery of the gospel is, and now he is telling us about his ministry of spreading this mystery, his ministry of spreading the good news. And when Paul talks about this ministry of his, I always love what he does because he's very good at giving credit where credit is due. He says in verse 7 that the reason he was a minister at all is because of God's grace and the working of God's power, not his own. And I love that about Brother Paul. He is keenly aware that apart from Christ, he can do nothing. And I think there's kind of a side lesson for us there. He says even though he's the least of all the saints, an allusion to his uh, zealous persecution of Christ and the church, Grace was given to him to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love the language there, the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is what the mystery is. This is what the gospel 
is. It's unsearchable. The same word is used in uh, Romans 11.33 when Paul just bursts out with worship. And he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. He's saying that this good news is so incomprehensibly great because it comes from an incomprehensibly great God whose wisdom and riches and glory No, no end. But here is the the real mind-blowing truth that as incomprehensible this gospel is and as incomprehensible as God is, in Christ these things have been brought to the light for us to fully know and fully understand. Isn't that amazing that as lofty and as profound as God and this mystery is, if you are in Christ, you can fully know and understand these things. This is what Paul says here. And Paul's mission was to bring these very profound truths about the gospel and about God into the light, as he says in verse 9. And in verse 10, he says his mission is to bring these things to the light so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is he saying here? Well, as Christians, we believe that there is much more to the world than meets the eye. There is much more to the universe than the things that we can merely uh, touch and feel and see, right? A little bit later in our study, in chapter 6, Paul is going to say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against things that we can uh, see and experience in a tangible way, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So in other words, our struggles in this life are not as much against other individuals as much as it is against Satan and his angels negatively affecting the world. And isn't that, again, kind of a side note here. I keep going off on these side notes, but that's a good example for us to follow, right? That our enemy is not so much against other people, but it's against Satan. And Paul says here in verse 10 that one reason God revealed this mystery and set this plan into action was so that through the church, His great wisdom would be put on display not just for humans, but angelic beings as well. To say it another way, the united church should be one more reminder to Satan of his defeat and of God's perfect wisdom. Now that kind of improves the way we see the importance of the church, doesn't it? What we do here as a church are not merely physical acts. When we come together to sing songs of praise and to take communion together and to hear the word, not to mention the the many other ways that we exist as the church Monday through Saturday, we need to remember that God is using us in a very special way to instruct angelic beings. This is what Paul says here, that through the church, God's wisdom is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This should really elevate our view of the importance of the church. The church doesn't just have importance in the physical realm. It also has importance in the spiritual realm as well. Now, all of this is really interesting, but you might be thinking, Philip, I I thought that you were going to talk to us about confidence 
how we can have more certainty in this life. What's all this about a mystery and about angelic beings and all this other stuff? Well, look at what Paul says next, verses 11 through 13. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul has told us in detail about this mystery and how he is now bringing it into the light. He told us how God is using the church to reveal this mystery to angelic beings in the heavenly places. And now catch what he says in verse 11. He says that this mystery, that is the gospel that has now come to full fruition because of what Christ did, was not an accident. In fact, this was an eternal plan of God's. Jesus going to the cross, in other words, was not plan B. The establishment of the church at Pentecost was not plan B. In Acts chapter 2, during one of the greatest sermons ever given, Peter said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Listen to what he says. He, along with Paul, are saying that the crucifixion of Jesus that took place to atone for the sins of the world and unite those that were formerly divided was not an afterthought. This is something that God planned to do from the very beginning. Before there ever was such a thing as sin, God was actively working on a plan to redeem us from our sin. And it is a result of this wonderful fact that Paul says in verse 12 that we now have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. When we understand this mystery and God's wisdom to bring His plan to fruition, Paul says we will have confidence. Why? Because we will know that we can count on God. When we understand this mystery and we understand God's plan that has been put into action before there was even such a thing as creation, we will have confidence because we will know that His Word is good. We know that He has never nor will ever turn away from His promises. If we lack confidence in our lives, Paul encourages us to just look at what God has done in Christ. I also love how he says that our confidence is through our faith in Him. He doesn't say that if we want to put away our doubts and have greater confidence, we should just simply try harder. He doesn't say that we should just believe in ourselves a little bit more. Uh, If you pick up a magazine at the checkout uh, walkthrough at Walmart, they might say that, right? Just believe in yourself a little more. Just have a little bit more confidence. But Paul says, no, don't put confidence in yourselves. If you want to have less doubts, if you want to have more confidence, put your faith in God. And understand and believe in what he has did and what he has done through Christ. So what exactly does this confidence look like? I know we would all probably like to have a little bit more confidence and a few less doubts. But when put into practice, how does this actually 
play out. Um, Jesus shows us a, a beautiful story in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, if you want to flip over there with me. Luke 11, 5 through 13. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So in this parable we have a man who shamelessly goes to his friend in the middle of the night, not for something incredibly important, not for some life-threatening reason, but for some bread. And I think you just have to stop and appreciate the humor a little bit here and just laugh at what Jesus says. The friend who is inside the house is reluctant to get up because it's inconvenient. It's the middle of the night. He'll wake up his family. But Jesus says because of the man's impudence, the friend will get up and give his friend what he needs. The word for impudent is only found here in the New Testament. And it basically means confidence. It means having a lack of sensitivity to what is normally proper. Um, Because everyone knows that you're supposed to wait until morning if you need something from your friend, right? You don't go knocking on people's doors at midnight for something that's relatively non-important. Now, this is not to say that God is annoyed or irritated with our requests, is it? Of course not. But it is to say that if we act in this way towards one another, how much more can we have confidence when going to the Father and expect that He will give us what we need? Living a life of confidence before God looks like being so sure of your place in Christ that you shamelessly knock on the King's door no matter the time of day. Because you know that He will give you exactly what you need. Not because of your goodness, but because of your identification with His Son. And the promises that He's made to you because of His Son. Promises like, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Promises like, I will put my Spirit within you to help you live the Christian life. Promises like, there will always be a way of escape when temptations arise. Promises like, I'm going to prepare a place for you and one day soon I will come back to bring you with me. So do you have confidence? If we are in Christ, we should have nothing but confidence that God's word is good. If he said it, you can count on it. Because this mystery that has now been brought to life of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection makes us confident in God's word that He will keep His promises to us. We can have confidence that because of Christ in us, we will have everything we need to live fruitful and faithful lives. And by the way, this is why even when our lives aren't going exactly to plan, 
and that happens quite often, right? 2020 is, is a, a, I mean, that makes sense. Sometimes our lives do not go to plan, but even when they don't go to plan, we can have complete comfort and confidence without a doubt that God's plan for humanity and for us is right on track if we are in Christ. It always has been and it always will be. And we're sure of that because of Christ. In a world full of chaos, and the world is fairly chaotic, God promises certainty. People flip-flop and go back on, the, on their word, and you can't, uh, it seems like you can't trust many people, but God has a plan since before the beginning of time, and He wants you and I to be part of it. So hopefully this morning you are well acquainted with this plan. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time. Um, but maybe you've kind of fallen off the path. Uh, maybe you've forgotten the confidence that you have in Christ. I know I sure do sometimes. Uh, maybe you need the prayers of the church to help you get your life and your confidence back where it needs to be. We would love to serve you in that way if we can. Maybe on the other hand, you are not in Christ, uh, but you've heard about this wonderful plan that God has put into action since before the foundations of this world. Uh, Jesus tells us that when we are uh, baptized, we'll receive the Holy Spirit and we will uh, be able to be on track with this plan that God has put into action long, long ago. Uh, Whatever you need this morning, we're here to help you and to serve you in any way that we can as we stand and sing together.